This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 185. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, doing things alone today as today is a special, it's actually a replay episode of episode number 28, which was an interview that Jacob and I did together with Daryl Paco Sarder, a man who stopped a stabbing in front of the Detroit, Michigan-based GM Tech Center building back in February of 2016. This was a remarkable interview with a man who quite literally saved this woman's life. As the story goes, a 52-year-old woman that worked in the GM Tech Center building was brought out front by her daughter for a discussion when something went awry. And as the mother went to hug her daughter, her daughter began stabbing her in the back, neck, and abdomen. Fortunately, Paco Sarder, a valet parking supervisor there at the building, heard about the altercation, immediately ran to the fracas, drew his weapon, ordered the woman to stop, and thus stopped her dead in her tracks, excuse the pun, (laughs) stopped her before she could continue stabbing her mother even further, which, like I said, likely saved her life. A remarkable interview, a remarkable story with a remarkable individual. I hope you enjoy listening to this replay of this interview today, as there's just so much to get from it. A reminder of how important it is to be ready at a moment's notice, because this situation happens very quickly, and Paco is able to be right there when it counted. Now, we are doing this replay episode because with the holidays and everything going on, uh, we felt this is an appropriate time to go back. For those of you that didn't hear this interview, or for those of you that did, but it's been a while... This would be a great opportunity to review this content, and I hope you'll get a lot from it. And speaking of the holidays, we hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. And we continue to wish you, from all of us here at ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast, happy holidays as we have New Year's just around the corner. We hope that you are able to enjoy this special time of the year with family and loved ones and do so safely. So with that, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Okay, uh... On the line with us today, we've got Daryl Paco Sarder with us. Uh, hello, sir. How you doing? We are great. Uh, Jacob, you know, we were so excited to uh, to finally get him on the phone with us for an interview. Uh, we actually reached out to him well, probably back in February. Yeah, I, I think mean, so. Yeah, pretty soon after you know he had his incident, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I'd be happy to talk, but you know, give me some time." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think we we wanted to respect uh, these kinds of things. Sometimes just need to let the media die down a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, we're we're so excited, uh, to Daryl, that you're finally uh, willing to to get on with us and tell your story. Because uh, honestly, sir, you have a remarkable story. Thank you. Thank you, Riley. So uh, yeah, uh, why don't we jump right into it here? So we, we got some questions for you, um, but I think where we want to kind of start is, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Just like, who is Daryl Paco Sarder? Uh, what do you what do you kind of do for a living? Uh, hobbies, whatever. You know, just just who who are you, sir? Okay, um, so my name is uh, Daryl Sarder. Uh, a lot of people have a hard time saying that name, so since probably the sixth grade. Uh, for some reason, I don't know how the name came, Paco came, and it just carried on, carried on. High school yearbooks, everything has Paco on it. <laughs> you know, um, 
I've been in a parking industry uh, basically half my life, uh, almost 17 years now. So um, I got a promotion to go start the valet operation at the GM Tech Center, which, you know, that building's been around for, I don't know, 50 plus years, but they've never had a, a valet system. Yeah. So I moved over there in December from my current location, which was a private club in downtown Detroit. So uh, we moved there in December. Uh, you know, Tell us a little was- bit about uh, your family, Paco. Married? Kids? Uh, married. Uh, Ten years now. Two kids. We got a nine-year-old girl, a six-year-old boy. Uh, like I was born awesome. here in uh, Det- Detroit, and my wife's from New York City. So, uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I see, you know, we, we, we've connected with you on Facebook and, uh, you got some cute kids some beautiful kids, beautiful wife. I, I think you have a, an affinity for cigars too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's something new I picked up, uh, like where I hang out downtown La Casa cigars. Uh, you know, it's a great environment. I, I like sports a lot. That's my, that's my passion. My hobby. I, I love sports, all type of sports, all the way from football to basketball to even women's tennis. You know, I watch it all. So, and that's, <laughs> that's a great cool. place to watch it. You know, the atmosphere and everything. You know, and they got great cigars. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, you have one of the uh, most awesome beards I've ever seen. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. He sports a mean beard. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot of people call me James Harden when I'm out on the streets. Yeah, I, I could definitely see the resemblance. <laughs> cool. So let's go back to this uh, fateful day. And uh, here, here's kind of how we wanted to share and communicate this story. Uh, Paco, we, we'd like to hear you kind of start, uh, you know, and you know what day we're referring to. Uh, why don't you start for us? Tell us, you know, what, what what's your usual daily routine like and, and what was... I guess the, you know, how does your day go as far as that that day, that morning or whatever, getting ready for work, getting to work? Let's just start right at the very beginning. Uh, lay it out for us in in kind of a story form, if you would. Yeah. So this uh, this day started off unusual right from the get go because my shift usually uh, starts. I work ten ten a.m. to six p.m. Um, but this day I was called in. I talked to my manager. We had an issue. You know, so we're like, she's like, why don't you come in an hour early and, uh, you know, uh, we'll settle this and then you can start your shift at 10. So that day I went in at nine o'clock and I had my, you know, shirt and tie and hoodie on. So, you know, I had, I usually, sometimes when it's hot days here, it's hard to conceal. So I had my hoodie on, so I still had my firearm on me. So we're in the office, you know, having our meeting and all of a sudden I see all these valet guys come knocking on the door Hey, we need help. We need help. And yeah. I thought it was—I thought it was some of our valet guys getting into it, which either you know how it is with that kind of stuff. So as, sure. as I run out there, I just see it's like mass hysteria. People are running towards me, you know. Mm. So, I'm like, so people people like, are running away from something. Yeah. In other words, yes. it, before you go any further, would you explain? Just explain the ten minutes leading up to this incident, as far as you know. Was things were things kind of going normally, other than the fact you actually had to go into work a little bit earlier than usual? But was it just kind of a normal day for you, other than that? Yeah, just a normal day, you know, uh, nothing out of the ordinary besides just having to go in early. 
Talk a little bit, uh, Paco, about, uh, you know, you, you mentioned you, you, you wore a hoodie so that you could continue to carry concealed. How long have you been, you know, carrying a concealed gun up to this point? I mean, is it, is it years? Is it fairly new? Um, you know, talk a little bit about your history with concealed carry. I've been carrying for right now for about six years. Um, I was, I took my class with a 12 year Marine, you know, uh, people always say a lot of my friends are very, uh, anti-gun or they say, why do you need a gun? Uh, when will you ever have to use your gun? And, you know, and I always told them, like, if I can go 30, 30 years, 40 years, shit, my whole life without ever having to pull it out, then it did its job, but I would rather have it, you know, and, and not need it than need it and not have it, you know? <laughs> That's one of my favorite sayings. So I definitely relate to that. So you were carrying your gun that day. Is that pretty normal then? Do you do you carry on a daily basis? Uh, I I have it. I never leave the house without it. But a lot of times when I get to work, I leave it in my truck. Okay. And was there a reason you didn't leave it in your truck that day? Uh, well, my thing was I was going to go in an hour early, have a quick meeting. I had my hoodie, which was concealing it. And then I was going to just take off and go have breakfast or somewhere and then start my shift later. You know? Huh. That's really so interesting. So if it hadn't been for that meeting, yeah, you, you might not have had your gun with you in that moment. Exactly, yeah. So that's why I said. It was, it was very odd. Like We had to have an issue the day before for me to be called in, for me to go, for me to wear the hoodie and decide, hey, you know, I'm just going to – I'm not going to ankle holster it or anything. I'm just going to just keep it right there. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so so back to kind of you're, – you're sitting – you said you're sitting in the office and uh, uh, some of your valet guys uh, – or they run over to the office and they're trying to get your attention. Is that what was going on? Yeah. They're like, we need help. We need help. Wow. So walk us through, you know, kind of moment by moment. How, what, what happens next? So I come out and this natural instinct is, is to run, you know? So I ran towards where I'm following them. They're just like, we need help. So as soon as I open the door and I, I'm running towards them and maybe, 15 15 to 20 feet before I hit the exit of the door, I can hear, you know, her saying, bitch, you dead, bitch, you dead, if you want to go quote for quote. And you can see, you can just see this woman just getting attacked, you know. Mm. And before I even hit the exit doors, I was already uh, unholstering my firearm, maybe, you know, five seconds before. And uh, mm. as soon as I got, I got in my stance, I kept my distance, and I pointed right at her and said as loudly as I could, you know, if you want quote, mm-hmm. drop the f- knife or I'll shoot. And, and, and she literally uh, dropped it and backed away right away. And that's when uh, other people decided to exit the door and uh, they moved the knife away. Mm. And that's when I, I re- once she, once the knife was out of uh, her hands and she backed away and the knife was secured, I, I uh, holstered my firearm right away and uh, called 911. Okay. So, Oh, go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say, like, Paco, did, did you first hear or did you first see the, the lady? Uh, I heard the bitch you did. Yeah, so you're, then, he- you're hearing that sound. And then, and then what did you see? Like, what is, what did, like, give us, like, paint the picture of what you were seeing. And big woman just, knife had to be uh, eight inches. Was this like a kitchen knife? Yeah, it was one of those long kitchen knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just see her. She it was kind of at the. She was going at like a circular motion, you know. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and what it, about the victim? Where where was the victim? At that point, by the time I got out, she was on the ground. Yeah. 
Could you tell us, uh, just because it may not be clear to the listeners, uh, who, who are these two women and what's their relation? Um, if from after, the next day, I found out they're mother and daughter. Yeah. Mother and daughter. Yeah, mother's the victim, daughter's the perpetrator, right? And daughter the perpetrator, yeah. yeah. And um, like if you've seen the footage they released, um, she, she walked in, went to the security, had her mother call down. And then they walked out and, you know, she had her hands behind her back the whole time. And then as soon as she went outside, she just went to town on her. Wow. Uh, do, do you know by chance, you know, why, you know, the daughter was provoked to uh, uh, or motivated to attack her, her mother in this way? No, not at all. Yeah. Huh, that's crazy. Let me, let me ask you, like, at that point, like, you're hearing, you're hearing the screaming, uh, people are running. You, you catch a visual and you start going for your gun. Like what, what was going through your mind at that moment? Like, like, can you, do you have any memory of like your feelings or your thoughts in that moment? Um, no, actually, I mean, I, I didn't have any, any thoughts. It was just, someone's dying. You, I got to do something, you know? It's just instinct. Would that be a good description? It was instinct. It was adrenaline and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really, it's tough, man. That's why like when you guys first wanted to even take me on right after that, like I was still after, I was shaking up after I wasn't shaking mm. up at the moment. It was like after when I really thought about it, like, you know, what bugged me, like, man, what if she didn't drop that knife? You know, like I would have yeah. a fire on her, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first time, like I said, in six years, the first time I've ever had to unholster it, uh, with a threat. And, you know, all these years you carry and, you're always thinking you're gonna you're saving it for you or your family's protection and like the last thing that came like the first time I would have to ever pull it out was to save someone else, you know, or help someone else. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Um what what you know, so you've got her at gunpoint. Uh she's dropped the knife at this point, is that right? Yeah, once yep, she dropped the knife and backed away. And she's just kind of standing there or whatever. Uh, yeah, there's some, a uh, few other guys came in and they were, you know, once a night, that time security ended up coming out and uh, securing the, uh, the weapon, the knife. Gotcha. And, uh, Are these armed security or unarmed? Unarmed. Okay. And who who called uh, authorities, 911? I did. You did? Okay. So at this point, did you place that I'm call? Sure other people, I'm sure other people, as the attack was happening, uh, people were probably calling. As well. Okay. Uh, would you mind describing that nine one one call for us? And and also, was when did you actually place the call? Was it once you had her? She was kind of secured. Your gun's still out. Uh, is that when it happened, or was it before that? No, after uh, after she dropped the knife, the knife was secured. She had then I holstered my weapon and called. Oh, okay. I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to have my gun out there. Then all of a sudden, someone that's not familiar with the situation would, you know, you know, in panic mode, right. you see me with the gun and then sure. I think that I'm the aggressor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm actually quite impressed that you had the presence of mind to uh, think that and to do that at the moment. So, uh, very interesting. And so then you call 911 and what did that go like? Uh, police were police. I mean, Warren city police were, were amazing. They were there quickly as possible and you can see them as soon as they came in. Uh, uh, they they ordered her because she didn't. She seemed crazy. She just stood there, waited for them, and uh, 
you know, they put her on the ground, they uh, handcuffed her, and uh, and at mm. that time, I'm watching the stuff. I I kind of stepped away a little bit to smoke a cigarette because my, my my heart was still pumping. I needed like a, you know, to, uh, to calm myself down. Yeah, yeah, you were experiencing the uh, the after effects, really, right, of all that adrenaline and everything. So now. The mother, she's on the ground, right? She's she's wounded, I uh, presume, a number of times. Yeah, uh, from what I heard, she was uh, stabbed nine times. Wow! The back, uh, the neck, and the stomach. But she wow. was attended to. Uh, I got to give it to some of the the medics. They uh, as soon as uh, the knife, she dropped the knife and it was secured. That's when people came out and people attended to her. Uh, the medics attended to her fairly quickly. That's good, and and she's pulled through, right? She was pulled through. She was in the hospital, I believe, for about a week, and then she was released home. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. And, Tell uh, me, did, was there in that moment when 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 you went for the you know when you went to draw your your gun and you you put it on target? Was there any fear? Like, do you remember feeling any sense of fear? No. It just, I mean, it, 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 what I'm trying, like, I'm trying to like imagine the feeling and the sense and the thought. And the biggest thing I'm getting from you is that it was, it just felt instinctive. It was like there was a cue in your environment and you reacted, and and that you know that that that's kind of what I'm getting. Does that does that sound like a good summary? That sounds exactly what happened. Like I would say, if someone said, "Give me a time frame to make the decision," and and from from making the decision to putting your hand on your uh, gun, I would say less than half a second. That's all I had to, to react, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I got to ask a question just because I'm curious, because uh, you referenced, you know, drawing a gun. Uh, not that this really matters, but I'm, it's Riley and I'm a gun guy. So I'm curious, what were you carrying? Uh, that day I had my uh, 38 special Smith and Wesson. Oh, really? Okay. So little uh, J frame revolver. Yep. That's exactly what it Five is. shots. What kind of load were you carrying? <laughs> regular, man, regular. Yeah. Cool. What? I'll, I'll, um, I'll, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to ask. Like, I'm curious to hear a little bit about your own personal. I'll call it like physical recovery. Like after this moment, you talked sure. about your heart racing, smoked a cigarette to calm down. Um, as I recall, some of the media reported that you, you know, you were escorted off as well to the hospital to kind of be checked out. Like talk a little bit about like, you know, leaving the emotion and, and, and mental out of it for now, like just, you know, physically, like, was it, did, was it traumatic? I mean, did, did it, it take quite a while to calm down? Um, no, actually I don't, that report is false. What happened is I was escorted off the property by a so-called higher up from GM because I had my firearm, not to go get checked out. Uh, when the police was there, and, you know, of course, they told me, before, you know, to put my hands on the wall so they can uh, they can get my firearm, you know, make sure everything's legit. And then, you know, as the cop was, officer was doing that to me, you know, he's like, man, you may have saved this woman's life, you know, good job. But then this guy comes out of nowhere and says, this guy needs to be escorted off property. Uh, he shouldn't have had his gun here. This is a gun-free zone. Uh, so when, if he's ever caught back here, he'd be, uh, charged with trespassing and you know, that, that, that would kind of, I don't know. I didn't know what to feel then. I'm like, Oh my God, I mean, this lady would have been dead if I didn't do, then I'm thinking, did I do the right thing? Am I going to lose my job? Now what's going to happen? You know? Mm. But at that point, then as I was coming home, like I could get another job and I've been in, in this parking, regardless, I was in 
I can get another job. But this lady, literally, there was no, there was going to be no one else to intervene. And she would have been dead right on those front doorsteps. Wow. And so it kind of hit you. You're like, you know what? You know, all things aside, I, I'm glad I did what I did, regardless of what happens. Yep. Yep. I, I call my wife right away and uh, she's, you know, she kind of noticed like how my voice is shaking. She's like, are you okay? Do you need to pull over? Well, I'll come get you. I was like, no, I'm driving home. And and she said the same thing. She said, don't worry about, you know, you you know, you save, you save someone's life. Hopefully at that point, I didn't even know if she was going to make it through, you know, she right. rushed to the hospital right away. But at least at that point, you know, my wife calmed me by saying, you know, you gave her a chance, you know, yeah. Uh, how soon was it after the incident and law enforcement arrived that uh, that this higher up, as you called him, uh, came down and said, you know, you needed to be escorted off? Um, how long did that take? I'm just curious. Once the police officer uh, and the, it was a whole team of officers there quickly, you know, so some people were getting interviewed and they're saying, you know, the people that witnessed it come on this side, the people that didn't. I would say good four minutes maybe as he was talking. And then when I guess this gentleman, when he saw my hands on the wall with the firearm, he figured, you know, at that point that I had a gun on me. And, you know, people said, well, this guy's this guy pulled out his gun to help her. And that, that and he decided, you know, I, I, I see I violated a gun free zone policy. I mean, that was the last thing I was worried about at that point. Gotcha. Were you aware of any so-called gun-free zone policy? Um, no, I was. I, when we moved over to December, we didn't sign anything. Uh, I wasn't aware of anything. I mean, no signs. Uh, not that I paid attention to. Sure. Yeah, it does sound like there was security in, just inside the main entrance of the building. Is that what I heard from you earlier? Uh, there, there's security at the desk, about two of them, and there's a lot of security. That's a, it's a huge campus. I think, I believe, right. it was almost two square miles. Oh wow! So I yeah. mean, that was the that was the main entrance. So that's like the vec, like kind of like where all the guests, the tourists, the engineers, and everything come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then, like security at the entrance, are they actually like screening for weapons of people that come in, or they are they just kind of there just to be presence? It's a presence. Okay. I was just curious. So uh, I'm curious a little bit more too. So 911 is called. Uh, police arrive. Uh, and you said that they had you up against the wall with your hands on the wall or something. Is that what you no, said? And well, You know, I had my hoodie back on so my firearm wasn't showing. So the officer said, who was the gentleman that pulled out the gun? And I said, me. And they said, okay, can you put your hands on the wall gotcha. and let me know where the firearm is? And I said, yes, on my right, right waist. And then he said, uh, you know, I asked for my credential. I said, my back back right pocket is my uh-huh. license at EPL. Yep. And so did, did they actually confiscate the weapon from you at that time? Uh, at that time, yeah. And they, you know, unloaded it. And then uh, they had to check if it was registered to me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. What kind of holster were you carrying it in? I'm A also Phobis. Oh, okay. Sure. Cool. Yeah, so nice in, inside waistband? No, outside. Okay. It was a Kydex Fulvis uh, holster. Gotcha. So they they disarm you. They check your credentials. Uh, do they keep the gun as evidence at that point, or do they return it to you at some point? No. As they were ex- once everything was uh, under order and everything checked out, I gave my statement. 
then as they were escorting me out, uh, he handed me my weapon and just told me, uh, you know, he gave me his card if there was anything, you know, he can do. And if I had any questions, mm. I think, I think they felt bad as well. The officers felt bad even escorting me out. You know, yeah. I felt like a criminal. I felt like the criminal at one point. And I think a lot of those guys, they felt bad for me too, you know? Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think like, like in hindsight, do you, do you reflect back on this and think about any like training, like classes you've taken, any training you've done? Do you think any of that had a part in, in like preparing you as far as how you reacted? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. I try to go, I try to go to the range at least once a week, if not at least like twice a month, you know, just to set my form, just to have proper training, um, you know, I, I got I got a Springfield uh, nine millimeter as well. Just like if you ever had jams, which that Springfield, I probably put five thousand rounds, but I've never had a single jam. Mm. Um, yeah, I go to the range a lot. I always work on my form and you know just target practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah so a lot of that was muscle memory. I mean, what, what one of the I mean one of the main things I'm I'm taking from your story is, you know you had developed a great amount of muscle memory. I mean, once, once a week, twice a month, that's, that's, that's pretty frequent over the course of five, six years. And so you had a, you had a great deal of muscle memory. So, so when that incident happened, that half second, you know, it was, it was pure instinct based on those years of training. Right. Well, I mean, do you think that's fair? Most definitely, most definitely. And then, uh, I would really, I think I want to emphasize how important it is, uh, that the trainers, the, the people that offer the class, the CPL classes, I think the trainer and the pe- the teacher makes such a difference because this this uh, guy, as like I said, as he was a military guy, he emphasized a lot. You know, like he emphasized uh, when you want to use lethal force. You know, distance between them, distance between this, and like, he really went into very detail. He was very thorough, and um, I enjoyed the class. And I think, you know. A lot, a lot of people, I don't know how a lot of people really react, but I think that training was one of the most important parts of uh, how the situation, I mean, got to say the lady didn't have to die and the mother survived. And, you know, you feel like you two people are alive today. I, I account that to my teacher that, you know, I took the CPL class from as well. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. It, you know, in, in the aftermath, uh, were, were you contacted again by law enforcement? Uh, law enforcement uh, contact. That's when the media wanted to get my information, and I guess they couldn't release it without my uh, authorization. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, then the next time I was contacted was by the mayor of Warren. Oh, wow. Were Were you ever afraid that you might have done anything wrong or anything like that? No, no, because, um, back, back again, back to the teacher, you know, I, I really, even after that, I always looked into what my rights are because every state is different and I didn't want to ever be in a position where I would be able to lose this, uh, right. You know, that I have mm-hmm. like, you know, as my, like I told you, my family, uh, my wife's from New York. So I happen to go to New York a lot and which I hate, I know why I hate because, they don't us do reciprocals for any state, I believe. Especially, they won't honor a Michigan CPL. Like, if I got caught with my yeah. firearm in New York City, um, you know, I would lose my license and, I, and probably be charged with a uh, 
with a firearm. Yeah. yeah. I try to stay up to date with all the laws, all the rules, you know, and, you know, I try to be informed. And, you know, like you said, this firearm training is like a, you, you, you're ne- you never have enough. You know, it's always something right. you can learn. Talk, Paco, a little bit about your your experience with the media, like you know, reporters, people contacting you, or even you know, like people like us. Like, you know, what was it like dealing with with all the attention, and 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 you know, what was your general feeling from these kinds of people? Um, well, the first once the first interview happened, like Mike, our local news, uh, all three of them literally came like within thirty minutes of each other, and then after that. You know, I got my story out, and I actually turned off my phone for the next two days because I was just getting calls and from everywhere, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, it, it was still bugging me for a while. But bugging you like how? I don't know. I mean, it was it was an experience that I've never felt. You know, it was something I never felt before. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. Like when you think about. Just everything, just this whole, this woman yeah. being stabbed over and over, and you know, all that just kept playing back in my head. Yeah, yeah. Was this the first time you'd seen something that violent? Yes. Yeah. So, so a lot of that is is the impact. It's it's kind of you're reliving it over, right? Could you? I mean, kind of almost like trying to wipe it from. Did you want to wipe that from your memory? Like you didn't want to have to see that. Um, I mean, it, it played. It played. I mean. Like the first day and two, you know, I, I didn't sleep much. You know, I, I smoked a lot of cigarettes. You know, it was just like, I don't know. I don't know why I was just like anxious. You know, it's like I couldn't, I wouldn't say anxious or, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of anxiety, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, totally. Tell you, us a little bit more. I'm sorry, Riley. Uh, tell no, us a little bit more about your the community's response. You mentioned the mayor called. Talk about you know that and and kind of what that led to and, and anything else relative to kind of the way the community responded. Oh, uh, the community was great, man. I mean, the support from everyone. Literally, um, the once the mayor called and he said he wanted, he's like he thanked me. He said at least this woman has been rushed to the hospital. But I mean, being stabbed nine times, who knows? That tenth time may have done the done the trick and she would have been dead so you know by her forcing her to drop that knife at that point gave her a chance and i mean the support support was great um my wife uh tells me uh go on facebook i mean there's people over there that's so supportive of you people were talking you know if gm fires this guy we'll boycott gm and what are they thinking you know the support was great i mean i got facebook mess- just like you guys you know messages from everyone uh, you know, telling me thank you. Uh, you know the you know one thing that like I didn't really like, or not I wouldn't say like, but like when people said like congratulations, like that I don't know that just didn't sit well with me. Like the thank yous are cool, but the congratulations is I feel like yeah, I mean I helped her, but like you know, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like it's not like you won an award, right? It's you not- felt like. Um- I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of this sense of, you know, someone is hurt, someone was bleeding. Um, it, it, did, you know, did, did I win something or was it just a, you know, I, I did, I did my job. Yeah, I did what I would expect. I mean, any normal human being, if you see someone being attacked, you know, to step up, you know, and at least do. And the other thing I would say that really bugged me is um, this was about a week later. Once the, the mayor took me and my family in and uh, did the, gave me the mayor's award, 
And uh, that's the day they actually uh, released the live footage of the incident. And what bugged me is one of the reporters asked, like, so what do you tell your kids about this? And, like, did you think about them? That's when it really kind of hit me, like, wow, you know, I really never... At that point, I didn't even have that chance, you know, but, like, if this woman attacked me or, if like, if you got hurt, I said, you know what, I mean, I think my kids would, if something were to happen to me and I went to try to help someone, I think my kids would be proud of me. You know, yeah, they would be sad and upset they lost their dad, but I think at the end of the day, uh, and I tell them, I tell them, someone needs help, you help them. You know, we don't look at, you know, who's, you know, a lot of, like, right now, another thing about my background, you know, born and raised Muslim as well and you know muslim a lot of people are trying to say like all of us are bad but at that time it's not like i said like hey you know let me check if this woman is christian or muslim or whatnot you know human is human you know we all bleed red we all bleed the same you know yeah yeah tell any anything else like specific to the aftermath like you know now that weeks and months you know almost four months more than four months have gone by is it how does it get easier or how does it get change or how does it kind of get better for you it gets easier it gets easier like you know like there's a time uh heals things now that i know that she's she's alive she's doing good actually one of her nieces uh, uh reached out to me through facebook messenger and gave me a deep thanks from her you know she's older female so I'm, she's probably not very familiar with social media and stuff so uh yeah her niece uh, sent me she said my aunt wants to thank you she she's hoping to see you uh and thank you herself personally face to face you know mm. so you know those things made it made uh the aftermath much easier to deal with what what uh what if anything would you change like if you could go back and change anything you did is there anything you would change Hard question, I know. <laughs> no, that might be the hardest no. one we've asked him yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, what would I change? Or anything you learned from the experience? It's mm, a good one. I'm trying to think deep. How about this? Uh, I'll let you keep thinking, but uh, let me add to that, or maybe phrase it a little bit differently. Is there, if you could tell the listeners of the Concealed Carry podcast, uh you know, anything, give them any sort of message, what would you tell them? Train. Always train. You know, train and always be ready. You know, like, you never know when danger's gonna, what danger's gonna hit them. I mean, like I said, this was just a regular day, just like past 30, 30 years, I mean, of my life, you know, it's just a regular day and you just never know when something's gonna happen. Especially the world we live in today. People, people are just going nuts. You know, you never know when you're going to be ready. I mean, I learned a lot of things like, you know, even when I go grocery shopping, like I learned not to, if I'm going to be on my phone, my, I'm going to talk with my left hand. You know, I always want to keep my, uh, my, you know, I'm a righty. So I always try to keep my right hand free because you never know a lot of, and I, and I look at that stuff when I go to grocery, like females, which I'm even more saddened about is like, you know, you'll see these females walk in and one, one hand is hoping grocery, one hand is on the phone and like they just make themselves easy targets, you know? So I try to like focus myself and always being ready, you know, like if something were to happen, I try to keep my arm free where I can uh, go for my firearm and, you know, just little things. There's so much things that we can always learn how to do better, you know? Mm. Wise words. Yeah. The best, best thing would be just always stay alert of your surroundings. 
Yeah. 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 Good tip. T- tell us a little bit more about your employer's reaction. Obviously, we heard a little bit about how GM felt, but GM is is not your employer, correct? Talk a little bit about your your employer's reaction. Um. Yeah. So my I'm employed through SP Plus. Um. They didn't give official. They didn't really had, know anything what was going on at that point, because like I said, as the, it all happened so fast. So I mean, it went to social media like instantly so then uh you know the media came to my house and then after i gave my interviews you know i told my wife you know i'm just gonna take a nap now then i woke up and i saw i have like two three voicemails from my company uh Mm. but then i you know i called back and they so i went into my meeting the next day and they didn't tell me uh that i was fired they're like you know you're not employed to gm so gm doesn't have authority to terminate you but through our company we're just gonna put you on a uh, suspension with pay uh, till the investigation is uh, mm. complete. Wow. That's actually really remarkable. I mean, really you had your company had your back. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, you know, that, that's really cool. I mean, to, to suspend you with pay, I think that's pretty generous. I, I, I would imagine there's many companies that wouldn't have gone quite that far. So, right. Do you, do you still work there? Uh, at the tech center, no. Actually, once it all cleared, um, GM uh, welcomed me back, and I think the mayor and the public support had a lot to do with that. Mm. Uh, so, welcome me back. Actually, a lot of the high GM guys uh, came, and uh, you know they thanked me for uh, intervening and helping. And but they did also know that uh, now you know that not to have your fire harmony. <laughs> even if it means saving someone's life huh (laughs) one guy did say which i liked he said uh if anyone decides they want to search you or your vehicle you call me right away because i don't want you to start getting harassed by uh you know random Mm. security just because you had a firearm you know Mm. cool but i'm not there now i mean i went back uh after and then uh actually my old job downtown by like you know ford field and comerica by the stadium they called me and uh wanted me to go promote me back to the uh, facility manager running all the parking over there oh wonderful cool man well they saw how good of you know how good of a man you are that you know and they know you pack so they wanted you over there to (laughs) (laughs) protect and defend right (laughs) well that's awesome the people's been great, man. Even even at the cigar, you know, I go to the cigar bar. I, you know, people, especially you know, pro gun rights people that carry, you know, they they, they notice me right away from the beard. Like, man, we, I know you. I saw you on the news, man. I knew that beard and that haircut right away. I said, they said, was that you? I was like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> it, it's led to a couple of free cigars, you know, cigar on me, cigar on this person. <laughs> well, nice. do, do they call you a hero? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that a lot. I just, <laughs> uh, I don't look at myself a hero. I said, I just did what uh, what anybody would do or I would hope anybody would do, you know? Yeah. Well, I was to in me, that position. I would hope someone helped me. To, to me, Paco, you are a hero, sir. And every bit, you know, you deserve that title. That title so. Yeah, uh, from from the the concealed carry community, at least at least from from myself and Riley, I I think we would just say thank you. Uh, I know you've been told thank you, and we've said it before. Um, not not just for what you did, but also for being willing to tell the story. Because I think your story 
is inspirational in the sense that people can learn from it. And I think that your your willingness to to you know to tell the story really will benefit others. And so I thank you for that as well. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. I, I would have did it earlier, but you know when you guys called me, like literally, what was it, a three four days after incident, and just wanted <laughs> things to calm down a lot. Like even um, I got a state representative that messaged me that wanted to take me uh, to the Capitol to you know kind of do what the mayor did, and you know I, I told him I appreciate it, but like I just kind of really want to go back. Like to normal society, you know. Yeah, you know, yep. spotlight kind of guy. I also wanted to say too that thank you for, for for not just what you did, but to add to Jacob's words, uh, thank you for also being honestly a good example to gun carriers, concealed carriers, and just the overall public. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you are, were a wonderful example and your demeanor and the way you've handled things. So I appreciate it very much. So, wow, Jacob, uh, what a uh, powerful story. And as you said, I think there is certainly things, many things that our listeners can uh, uh, learn from. And uh, Paco, we thank you for coming on and and visiting with us and and sharing that story and spending a a part of your Saturday (laughs) with us uh, to do that. No problem, Riley. Hey, we're all one one family, you know. A lot of people uh, won't understand as uh, gun carriers. Yep, yep, that's right. Yep. They look at us like we're all just out there, just, you know, trying to be macho or whatnot. But at the end of the day, all we're just trying to do is protect our family, protect our fellow man, you know? Yeah. Quite a story there, uh, Jacob. Uh, man. Yeah, I I, th- I think that, you know, we, 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 we drug that out quite a bit, uh, not on purpose, but just because there's, there's so much valuable detail and insight that comes from that. The majority of the people listening to this will probably never have an incident like that. But the, the value and the insights that you can derive from hearing from somebody who's actually had to live through that is, in my opinion, hugely valuable. And, and I think goes a long way to helping us really understand what that's going to be like. Priceless. One word for it. Uh, and, and folks, you heard it right here on the Concealed Carry Podcast. Well, there you have it. That is uh, today's episode. Uh, we do hope once again that you are all enjoying this special holiday season uh, safely. I hope this episode, this interview that you're able to uh, perhaps listen to for the first time or re-listen to if you heard it before and get something out of it. I hope you really, truly learned something today from this interview with Mr. Sarder and what he had to do on that fateful day in February of 2016. We hope to, and we do endeavor to bring more quality uh, content and interviews like this to you through the podcast. It is always a bit challenging to get folks like this on the podcast and, you know, that are willing to share their story and do so openly, especially where it's so personal. You know, I constantly reach out to many people through the podcast, asking them if they would share their story with us. And sometimes the, you know, quite often actually this, the answer is no, or there's no, no answer at all. But uh, if you do know of someone that has been through a situation like this, where they've had to draw or use their weapon and deadly, justify deadly force to defend their life or the life of another one, do have them reach out to us or reach out to us and let us know how we can get in touch with them and do so. Send us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. 
we're always interested in sharing those stories with listeners because I, I do think that there's great value in hearing these stories firsthand and really digging deep into the thoughts and minds and feelings of those that lived it and experienced it. So that's, I'm not going to really do too much else here today. Uh, I just really hope that uh, you are all doing well out there and look forward to bringing to you some, some more great content here in the near future. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.